At U.S. Bank, when we say we're in it with you, we mean it. Not just for the good stuff, the grand openings and celebrations, although those are pretty great, but for all the hard work it took to get there. The fine-tuning of goals, the managing of cash and workflows, and decision-making. We're in to help you through all of it. Because together, we're proving day in and day out that there is nothing as powerful as the power of us. Visit usbank.com to get started today. Equal housing lender. Member FDIC. Copyright 2024. U.S. Bank. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. I'll be with my friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job, not just entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Hey, we got a new pattern here, and we don't need artificial intelligence to spot it. The market opens up soggy in the morning on many of the day. Then as the morning goes on, buyers come in and scoop up stocks at terrific prices. Of course, that drives up the market entirely from the bottom. As These uninformed sellers, they make way for the well-informed buyers. Newly satisfied shareholders, often with very good cost bases by the end of the day. And that's how you end up with days like today, where, again, we open up real week for rebounding. Dow finishing off 80 points, the S&P declining just 0.01%, and the NASDAQ, which looked terrible in the morning, advancing 0.03%. Now, I think it's worth spending some time unpacking why this strange, down-up, San Francisco-style trolley occurs so often. Because maybe you and I can profit from it. Why don't we start by asking, why does the market have such a miserable feel in the morning? Well, let me give you some suppositions. First, every morning we happen to inherit the detritus that is Europe. Right now, Europe's performing awfully compared to the United States, and for a variety of reasons. Business as usual, really, although the reasons change from year to year. At the moment, Europe's got horrific inflation. Each day we get a bit of bad news on the inflation front that tells us that they're way behind the curve, certainly behind our curve. Today was in the U.K., where inflation's still running up more than 10% year over year. That means that more and more and more rate hikes for the central bank are expected with the possibility of truly persistent inflation that can't be brought down, even if the Bank of England engineers a severe recession. The UK is not alone here. I just don't see a lot to like in Europe. Beyond Banco Santander! That's right, the Spanish bank that's the sleeping giant of the continent that I've been telling you over and over again is real interesting to me. Second reason for the morning weakness, the macro. How about that term for when you were in college? Far too, if you didn't, it's an economic class thing. Far too many thumbsucker macro economists and strategists weigh in before the market opens and the proponents of them 
are very negative. Someone obsess over how many more rate hikes the Fed will have to give us. A parlor game that anyone can play. You don't need to know much, really, to speculate about none, one, or two hikes. It's hard to feel emboldened to buy stocks, though, when everybody's fretting about how aggressively the Fed must tighten. Third, politics and world events. I don't know about you, but they really wear me out. Hardly a day goes by without a negative story on one of these fronts. Overnight, nothing good's ever going to happen in China, right? Then you got to pray their government doesn't make any comments about the need to retake Taiwan. You won't hear anything particularly good about Ukraine either, and you certainly can't expect anything good to come out of Washington, especially when it comes to the debt ceiling negotiations. Finally, downgrades. Downgrades galore, and they seem to mean more than upgrades right now. And there's a generally negative bias going into each session with because of them. That's rough during earnings season when so many companies report before the opening bell and then hold their conference calls after the market opens. You're flying blind. Given the negative bias and the huge number of short sellers, it's pretty obvious that the tape, that means what you see that crawl underneath you, the tape is being painted. And that's a term of art, meaning the shorts keep trying to make stocks look real ugly, uglier than they would be. And they do it selling small slugs of stock aggressively, often deliberately below the last sale in order to freak out shareholders and then panic them into selling themselves. And that's what actually happens uh, until the actual hitters, the people who do the homework, who listen to conference calls and don't just look up the computer-generated stories, step up to the plate, and then they begin to bid for stock underneath. As the conference calls go on, but they go slowly, allowing a, this big batch of early morning sellers to give them better prices. After that, they walk the stock up, meaning every time the sellers get exhausted at one level, the buyers actually step up to buy more. That's actually what trading looks like, people. And I got to tell you more about it because I used to do trading institutionally. See, the more it goes high, the more they buy, the more it goes higher, and they take it up. Case in point, Morgan Stanley. That's a stock we own for the Chapel Trust, which you can follow by joining the CMC Investing Club. When the earnings release came out this morning, Morgan Stanley stock sunk like a rock. There was a provision for loan losses that was much higher than expected. There were some investment banking line items that seemed disappointing. But with Morgan Stanley, there's really only one metric that truly matters, and that's called net new assets, because these guys are increasingly in the asset management business. This time, Morgan Stanley took in $110 billion, which is huge. Double the previous quarter. That was a gigantic win. When we heard that, we knew they were golden, and that's what we told people at our investing club morning meeting that we do online at 1020 when the stock was still down real big. Sure, if the stock rallied nicely from its lows, goes in from being one of the worst performing stocks in the SB to being up slightly. What a turn. But people, it was not guesswork. This was just the micro staring down the macro and the micro winning. We saw the exact same thing happen with the stock of Goldman Sachs, too. It was amazing to see Goldman down 13 bucks in pre-market trading yesterday when you were aware that there was a major misrepresentation and misinterpretation of a decline in a key line of trading in its earnings release. Business had dropped 17% year over year. Ooh, scary, right? Uh, it, it looked awful, except that the decline was being compared to the single greatest quarter this particular division had ever reported. Uh, the actual absolute number was one of the best ever. Next thing you know, the stock erases most of its post-earnings losses, and now there's barely a dent in it. What an opportunity. Sometimes stocks are sim- simply more muted than expected. For example, 
the great company Abbott Labs. They gave you an amazing quarter with every single line much better than expected this morning. Oh, but the headline writers, they seemed a tad confused. And the way they described it, it seemed like a mild ho-hum Abbott beat. Who cares? Stock industry rallies about a dollar. But then, as the full earnings slide deck received some love, the stock powered higher, ultimately finished the day up eight Box, one of the best performers in the entire market. Now, I admit that this is not an easy way to make money. You needed to know the key metric from Morgan Stanley, net new assets. You needed to know the real comparison for Goldman Sachs. And you needed to know what Wall Street was looking for from Abbott Labs on a bunch of different line item products. But it was all there for the taking if you're willing to do enough homework. Now, I know this particular method won't be available to everybody. Not many people can follow the market full time. That is what, by the way, that's why we set up the CBC Investing Club to begin with. Help you do the homework for the stocks that we own, the Chapel Trust, so you can figure it out yourself. But the bottom line, you got to recognize the overall pattern. We have a negative bias every morning emanating from Europe, coupled with a gloomy group of money managers who simply don't believe the bear market has ended. They don't think anything can buck the parade of bad news. Then that's exactly what happens, at least for individual stocks and then for whole sectors that are written off every morning and then get praised by midday and rally into the bell until the morphing process starts all over again the very next session. Let's start with Matt in California. Matt. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure, Matt. How can I help you? Um, well, I just got into investing, and one company I've been following is CVS. We stocked it all right in 2022, and it seems like they're growing in healthcare, but it's down over 25% in December of last year. Should I buy it now or wait and see what you happens? You know, I looked at it yesterday when the stock was up two bucks, and I said, this stock is starting to come back. It gave up those two bucks today. I agree with you. It's bottoming. It's got a 3.2% yield. Karen Lynch is doing a great job. Nine times earnings. Let's pull the trigger and buy some CVS. How about RAF in Florida? RAF! Jimmy, chill. Booyah. Chill man in town. What's going on? How's it going, Jim? My question is about Rivian. Yeah. Uh, I've owned it since the IPO. Owned it at an average price of $25. It's trading around 13 Just wanted to get your thoughts on if you think it'll rebound in the next oh, Okay, so I did a months. lot of work with Rivian today because the revenue ramp should be, should be huge, but the losses are gigantic. And uh, do I want to sell it down, 12, uh, down to here at 12 I actually think it can still go lower, and Tesla didn't give me a good feel tonight. So the answer is, is I see no reason right now to own the stock of Rivian, not with these kinds of losses. Can I go to Robinson in Maryland, please? Robinson. How's it going, Jim? Ah, Robinson, pretty darn good. Beautiful day here. What's happening with you? Oh, uh, not much, man. I'm just I've got a decision on my hands, and I'm looking at Walmart, and I'm looking at Target, and I'm trying to decide. You know, I'm trying to be careful and not run after yield, but at the same time, you know, in the comparison, you see Target, and you're wondering, is it too good to be true? Well, I've got to tell you, you are really in the uh, maw of the beast here. I like Target with the 2.6% yield. I think Walmart's doing well, but I'm sorry. I've got to go with Costco. I think that they showed you the stock is up since the so-so month, and that means that Costco is the best place to be. That's why we own it for the Chapel Trust. Hey, listen, there's a pattern emerging from the daily action in the market, and I want you to be aware of it, so please take advantage of it. Oh, man, tonight, after earnings, should investors move into a stock like ProWatches? I'm digging into the story with the company's CEO. It's very compelling. Warehouses. Then, uh, here on Man Money, we're all about finding new investing ideas, and we've spotted a liquefied natural gas company that you might want to keep on your radar. We know you like these. And we're continuing with our series on the stinkers of 2021. I actually know we're going to find the good ones in the IPO batch that is 2021. And we've got some tech names tonight that defy the odds, jump Tyerson's public, and two of them I think you should. Bye, bye, bye. So stay with Kramer.
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollar sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Just go to Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This story is very important because we hear endlessly about the ongoing disaster that is commercial real estate, or CRE as the really cool guys think it's called. Make no mistake, there's plenty of pain here. But, and this is a big but, commercial real estate is a huge category that includes all sorts of properties, some of which are doing terrifically. For example, high-quality logistics and warehouse spaces near major population centers. Just yesterday, we got results from Kramer Fave ProLogis. That's a logistics-oriented real estate investment trust, one of the largest companies in the world. These guys turned in a beautiful quarter. While the headline numbers were merely in line, some of the operating metrics were frankly incredible. Average occupancy it held steady at 98%. Same store sale, net operating income grew by more than 11%. Wall Street was only looking for a mid-single-digit figure. That means ProLogis can charge higher rents and make more money on its properties without losing tenants. Even better, they raised their full-year outlook across the board. While the stocks rallied nearly 2% in response to the quarter, it's still down nearly 50 bucks from the highs from last spring when people started worrying about all these things logistically. I think it's a bargain, but don't take it from me. Let's check it in with Hamid Mogadon. Hamid is the co-founder, chairman, CEO of ProLogis. Get a better read of the quarter. Hamid, welcome back to the show. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? Well, once again, I am cheered because of your numbers. I keep hearing, of course, about the death of everything commercial real estate. It's so wrong. If people did any homework, if they talked to you, what exactly would they learn about renewal rates and how much, how little space there really is available? Well, uh, Jim, just to give you a little bit of historic pr- perspective, uh, we went into the pandemic having a very good business, very healthy market. Um, and uh, the pandemic just accelerated our business because of all the supply chain stuff that you've talked about for uh, time after time. And, uh, you know, as we've come out of the pandemic, the business has normalized a little bit. So I would say 
It was exceptional during the last year or two, but I would describe it as excellent today, a little bit softer than it was a year or two ago. But in terms of historic context, I would say we're in the 90% plus uh, of, uh, of history in terms of how strong the business is. Well, a little bit weaker now, but then you described in your conference call, which was excellent, about how the drop-off in construction in March after Silicon Valley Bank, which to me bodes very well for next year. Oh, for sure. And it wasn't just because of Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, uh, construction volumes really started uh, dropping or starts started dropping. Uh, There was a high volume coming online in 2023. Vacancies were, um, vacancy rate will probably creep up to about 4%. But as we go into next year with the drop in construction volume, we think we're going to be back in the mid 3% range, which is really exceptional uh, in terms of how tight the market is. It's very hard. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. It's very hard to bring on supply of these buildings in in the major metro areas. You're just out of land and out of entitlements. Well, also, I mean, a lot of people just are quick to say, oh, well, Amazon's pulling back. It wasn't evident at all for me, by the way, Amazon was pulling back. But one thing was pulling, one is is evident, FedEx and UPS. I mean, they still need everywhere else they can get. Well, that's for sure. I mean, we have 162 separate leases with Amazon, and none of them have been affected by any of these announcements. So. I don't know. I wish people would listen more to our calls than other people's calls to to make a judgment about the strength of our business. But I don't control that. But that's why we bring you on, because you speak the truth and have all since the bottom. I'm talking about since 2008, 2009. Now, there was a really interesting comment that I learned because I learned something every time you talk. Nearshoring is on fire. It sure is. I mean, I think uh, Mexico has been a huge beneficiary of this shift in manufacturing. It's closer, obviously, to the U.S. Uh, The supply chain is much shorter and much more immediate, and particularly for goods like electronics that have a short uh, life because of obsolescence and fast fashion and things like that. Uh, There's a lot of manufacturing taking place in Mexico that actually meets a lot of the needs of the retailers um, better than faraway places in, in, in Asia. So Mexico is doing great because of that. You have been uh, spot on every time you've given us a read on people tell me, well, e-commerce is slowing, e-commerce is slowing. You've been the best at indicating to me how well, e- where the, the temperature of e-commerce in the country is. Where would you say it is right now? I would say on a scale of one to 10, it's eight to eight and a half. Okay. It's not it's not 12 like it was a year or two ago. So one way of looking at it, glass half full, is that maybe it's down from 12 to eight and a half, but eight and a half is pretty good. I'll take that any day of the week. You know, I totally agree, especially because the bears would tell you it's probably, they think it would be like minus five. Now, Raj Subramanian has been on the show from FedEx, and I know you love, he's just a fantastic guy. Europe seems to be much stronger than people expect that to be. Now you've got a handle on the whole globe. Europe's just not that bad. No, Europe is pretty good. I mean, uh, Europe is always a little slower on the demand side than the U.S., but it's also a little slower on the supply side because in many of these uh, jurisdictions, the government plays a very big role in terms of the allocation of logistics land, and they sort of meter it out very reluctantly. So a lot of the markets in Europe are actually 1% or 2% vacant, the bigger markets, and uh, and they're pretty strong. But it's just not 
it never goes quite as far up as the U.S., and, and it's less volatile on the way down as well. Right, no, I, because you're an honest broker, I've got to ask you this. We hear people on our air all day say commercial real estate is collapsing all over the cities. Now, I know that's not your bailiwick, but at the same time, you've got your ear to the ground. How awful is commercial real estate? Because people tell me that's the next shoe to fall. Well, I I do think we have not come up with a vision as to what to do with these office buildings that are going to be utilized at the lesser rate because of work from home. I mean, if most companies are like ours, their employees are coming to work on average maybe three, four days a week. So that means 20, 25 percent less demand over time that ultimately when the leases roll over, companies are going to try to figure out how to get away with less space. And that just means that if you have older office buildings in the wrong locations and the like, uh, you're going to struggle a little bit and you have to figure out what to do with those buildings. By the way, a lot of people talk about conversions to residential and other things. Those are really expensive things to do, so it's not that easy. Uh, But good, high-quality buildings, I think, are going to continue to do very well. Uh, But we need to reimagine what's going to happen to our cities uh, because of remote work. It's not just the office buildings, but also the retail, the restaurants, and and all that. And and for us who live, we're headquartered in San Francisco. So I would say San Francisco and the range of cities is probably one of the slowest in terms of recovery. But, you know, every time I go to New York, I find it to be really dynamic. And other cities are are doing much better than they were even six or nine months ago. Wow, I'll tell you, it's, it's interesting because your number, uh, it actually took my breath away just now that you, really that's how often people come into work. I would have thought that, I mean, you're a tough guy. I would have thought you needed them there every day, but I guess it doesn't really matter. You have people who can do, who are quite productive if they're not in the office. Look, our people who are customer facing and are dealing with transactions and customers and leases, uh, I don't want them coming to work. I mean, they never even came to work before. They're spending time with customers. That's where they should be. But there are definitely jobs that can be done better remotely uh, because some of these people really commute from far away. And why waste a couple of hours commuting if you can be uh, doing your work and having more of a balance in your life? So I'm not uh, extreme on this. I think it depends on the job and on the situation and on the market. So I, I, I'd like to go with whatever makes people most productive and happiest. Well, you, you, <laughs> uh, you always tell it straight, and that's why we appreciate you coming on. Boy, a lot of common sense I learned in that interview. I hope people at home did. That's Hamid Mogadan. He's the, he's the co-founder and chairman and CEO. And Mr. Mogadan, I'm telling you, knows a lot more than almost anyone in the world about real estate and about warehouses, about nearshoring, and about e-commerce. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up. Make your portfolio a fortress. How about new fortress energy? Learn more next. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. The most innovative companies are going further with T Mobile for business. Tractor Supply trusts 5G solutions from T-Mobile. Together, we're connecting over 2,200 stores with 5G business internet and powering AI so team members can match shoppers with the products they need faster. This is enriching customer experience. 
This is Tractor Supply with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Here at Mad Money, we're always on the lookout for new ideas. Actually, it's our lifeblood. We like finding interesting stories that we can explore for the first time with a clean slate, then showing you how to analyze them so you can do it at home. Today, I want to talk to you about a company that I've known about for a while but never really looked at in depth, and it's called New Fortress Energy, and that's NFE for all you home gamers. New Fortress is a liquefied natural gas LNG company founded nearly a decade ago by a billionaire money manager by the name of Wes Edens, who still serves as the chairman and CEO. Edens is a longtime private equity executive who co-founded Fortress Investment Group, and he's part owner of several sports teams, including the Milwaukee Bucks. They had a great season, but who knows if they can beat uh, Miami tonight. Jimmy Butler looks good, doesn't he? He's all got all sorts of adventures, not, not Butler, West Edens, uh, like a high-speed rail line in South Florida, which I got to tell you, I love, a boutique hotel, and even a tequila company. I think it tells you a great deal about a person because mainly my wife owns Phosphoro, it's a mezcal company. By the way, Edens is joining Morgan Brennan on Closing Bell Overtime tomorrow. If you want to hear more about his business, I will not miss that interview. He is a fascinating character. Tonight, though, we're focused on new Fortress Energy. That's his liquefied natural gas plant. Now, regular viewers know we've been focused on LNG for years, arguably long before we should have been. But ever since Russia invaded Ukraine, disrupting global energy markets, liquefied natural gas has caught fire, with exports from the U.S. going to Europe in order to replace their lost Russian energy supplies. Of course, in the back half of last year, liquefied natural gas and natural gas prices themselves just collapsed. Look at this, will you? I mean, this is really just a decline of incredible proportions, and a lot of that was because of a mild winter, both here and in Europe at the same time. The best of the pure play LNG names, Chenier, has seen its stock fall from 182 in November to 149 today. And New Fortress has been no exception. The stock peaked at $63 last August, same day natural gas peaked before falling to $29 today. Sell, 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 sell. So before we get into the details, let me give you a major caveat. The stock of New Fortress Energy is tightly correlated, obviously, with the price of natural gas, and that makes it incredibly volatile. Sometimes that causes it to be a big winner. Sometimes it turns out to be a big loser, a little too commodity-oriented for my taste. Even when it works, you need to remember to ring the register on the way up because this is a boom-bust industry. Right now, I believe the price of natural gas is more or less done going down. But if you don't agree with me, well, this is certainly not the stock for you. At the same time, there's no reason to own New Fortress unless you're a real believer in the secular growth of liquefied natural gas exports. That's the whole point of buying this thing. With that out of the way, what exactly does New Fortress Energy do? Put simply, this company identifies foreign markets, mostly developing countries, that could benefit from transitioning to natural gas-based energy. Then it builds the facilities and infrastructure they need in order to make the switch. That includes everything from permanent land-based facilities to interim infrastructure that's built on barges. Fortress Energy makes money by financing all this infrastructure. Once it's complete, they take fees for transporting and supplying liquefied natural gas to the markets in question. In other words, they help poor countries get hooked on natural gas so they can sell them the stuff for years and years and years in the future. You know what? I think it's a good deal, especially if those countries currently run on coal, as many of them do, because natural gas is a heck of a lot cleaner than coal. Without an outfit like New Fortress, poor countries wouldn't be able to make the switch because embracing liquefied natural gas imports requires tons of very expensive infrastructure. You can't transport natural gas via ship 
unless you chill it down to the point where it becomes a liquid, but you can't use it for energy until you heat it up until it comes a gas again. This is a gigantic production. Right now, New Fortress has operational LNG import and regasification facilities in Jamaica, Puerto Rico, and the western coast of Mexico, with more projects on the way in Brazil, Nicaragua, and Ireland, among others. At the same time, they run a fleet of seven floating storage regasification units, specialized vessels that convert LNG back into regular natural gas that you can use in a power plant. They also got a liquefied natural gas manufacturing and storage facility in Miami. And within the next couple of months, New Fortress plans to introduce the first of several planned Fast LNG assets in the Gulf of Mexico. This company's going places. These are facilities that can convert natural gas from offshore rigs into liquefied natural gas on the spot. So again, this story is really about the growth of the global liquefied natural gas trade. But if you believe in that narrative, New Fortress is actually pretty compelling. And the financials are compelling, too. This company has grown its revenues from 200, under $200 million in 2019, that's the European public, to $2.37 billion last year. That's a 132% compound annual growth rate. And they're on track to bring in $3.9 billion in revenue this year. That's up 39% from last year. Before that explodes to nearly $5 billion in 2024. That's great growth. And by the way, it's done with natural gas, remember, low and more importantly, with the, it being warm pretty much all over the globe. How about profitability? When you're dealing with a company that has huge upfront costs that depreciate over the long period of time, there's some accounting issues you have to understand. You want to look at the earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, not straight out EPS. At New Fortress, their EBITDA, that's that the acronym, grew from a paltry $33 million in 2020 to $605 million in 2021, and then $1.07 billion in 2022. This year, they're hoping to get $2 billion. Even when you factor in all that depreciation, New Fortress has been profitable on an earnings per share basis for the past two years. Okay, the only knock on this one is that it's not yet free cash flow positive. But given the nature of the business with huge upfront costs, that's not exactly surprising. And the analysts think New Fortress can become free cash flow positive next year. Best part? New Fortress is darn cheap. Whether you look at the enterprise multiple, which is the enterprise value to EBITDA ratio we often use with capital-heavy businesses, or the normal price to earnings multiple, this thing is a bargain. Wall Street expects New Fortress to make $4.27 per share this year, which means it's, at these levels it's trading at just seven times earnings. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. Of course, that may be because money managers are so bearish on natural gas prices. But man, with the commodity at two bucks and change, I got to wonder how much worse it can get. And uh, by the way, investing club members, please check your email. We did a little buy in a natural gas name today. So here's the bottom line. I am a believer in the liquefied natural gas story, which makes me actually very excited about New Fortress Energy because the rest of the world's desperate for American natural gas. We're the low cost producer. And right now you're getting a great chance to buy this stock at a discount because the underlying commodity has been trading like roadkill, something we're betting won't last for long. I'd like to start with Henry in Colorado. Henry. Mr. Kramer, how are you, sir? Henry, I'm real good, all fired up. What's happening with you? I'm doing all right. Uh, with the possibility of a recession in the near future, I'd like to know your favorite utility companies and would love your thoughts on Dominion Energy, ticker symbol D. Dominion's too low. I, I like Dominion, but I always default because it's been such a good situation to American Electric Power. And then you know what? I got to tell you, that Pacific Gas and Electric, have you seen that? That thing is just a monster. That's Patty Poppy. It's at $16.89. And I say, how about we go to Brad? Brad in Tennessee. Brad. Jim, 
What's doing today? Greetings from East Tennessee. Well, give me. I'm volunteering you with a good question. What's happening? Hey, so Jim, my question for you is: I bought 150 shares of one OK at forty-eight dollars. Uh, I'm thinking about buying another equal shares to bring my go-in price at $58 a share. What are your opinions? I typically do not suggest averaging up, but they got a guy by the name of Walter Hulse, who's the CFO, and he's monster good. He's been a buddy of mine for probably, I don't know, 25 years, and I think they're great. Checked in with them recently, 5.7% yield, safe yield, good stock. I say, all right, New Fortress Energy might be down in the year, but it's definitely not out. I think you're getting a great chance to buy it right now. And tomorrow, Morgan Brennan, right? We got Wes Edens. He's the man behind it. Hey, much more man money ahead. Which 2021 tech IPOs have jumped higher since their public debut? I'm running down the biggest winners and seeing if there are still opportunities yet. Then, when you call in and ask me how the, the news may impact a stock, I'm shocked by the dire tone that I hear in some of your voices and also from reporters all day. So tonight, I'm giving you a strategy to help keeping a level head when handling these headlines. And I know it's not easy, but maybe we can work on it together. And of course, your call is rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. days ago, we got a reminder that not every IPO from the class of 2021 is a total piece of garbage. When when a company I love called Prometheus Biosciences got a takeover bid from Merck with a 75% premium. And that's why we're running a new series this week, searching through the IPO wreckage for genuine winners, of which there are some. Sure, the vast majority of the 383 stocks, 383, that came public in 2021 and are still trading today have been total disasters for the shareholders. But within that hideous group, 51 of them are actually up since they started trading. They must have something going for them if they can rally in such a difficult environment. And that goes double for tech IPOs from 2021, given that the tech-heavy Nasdaq is still down 25% from its late 2021 highs. Now, listen to these statistics. Nearly a third of those deals were tech companies, 122 of them, and only a dozen are still above their offer price. In fact, it's easier to find a tech IPO from 2021 that's down 90% from its steel price than it is to find one that's going higher. No wonder people hate the market. They've been gaffed like a 180-pound tuna off the coast of Panama that hit on the head with a mallet after being brought in a boat and then made into sushi, which you should leave 24 hours in the refrigerator with uh, under paper towel. But could any of these rare winners actually be enticing here? Why don't we take, uh, take a close look at this? Because it's really eye-opening, and I want you to focus on this. Now, the, the first one is a thing called NTAP. I had not looked at this, did not know about it until we did this series. Uh, this is up 75% since it came public in 2021. These guys make cloud software for the financial and professional services industry, including private equity firms and investment banks, as well as accounting, legal, and consulting firms. Now, NTAP's interesting. Because unlike most tech IPOs of its vintage, it wasn't particularly hot when it came public. You know, I always say that's the kind of thing I do like. But like everything else in the group, its stock went on to get killed last year, sinking to as low as 13 and change last September. Since then, though, the stock's more than tripled. At first, Intap was just uh, rebounding with everything else that came down too far, too fast during the bear market. Then in February. 
they turned into a tremendous quarter and changed the narrative entirely. Specifically, on top of very strong sales, Intap posted a three cent per share profit. Wall Street was looking for a three cent loss. And they also raised their full year earnings forecast. Unfortunately, my gut tells me that we pretty much missed this one. Hey, look, after its incredible run, Intap now sells for. 300 times next year's earnings estimates. You might say that's unfair because they just started making money. But the stock also trades at 7.3 times next year's sales, which isn't exactly cheap. Plus, whenever we look at cloud software stocks, we got this thing we like to do. We like to run them through something called the rule of 40 test. This is where you add their revenue growth rate to their operating margin. And if the sum is below 40, you don't touch it. You can pass with fast revenue growth or high profitability or some mix of the two, but Intap fails the test. So I don't want to stick my neck out in this, for this one. That said, maybe if I had a better understanding of the product, I don't know, maybe I'd more take a risk here. I can't. Some of these companies, I just don't know enough about their products, and that does hurt my ability to tell a better story. But you can't know everything, but I sure try. Next up, there's Global Foundries. That's the only big semiconductor manufacturer with a major presence in the U.S. I actually recommended this one in 2021 at a time when I didn't want to touch most IPOs because I found the story so compelling. We had chip shortage, for heaven's sake, and we don't have a lot of foundries in this country. It was a good call. Stock ran from 48 to 79 in its peak last March. But then the chip shortage ended and Global Foundries pulled back hard. Ultimately bottomed in the mid-30s last summer. Since then, though, the stock's come back, roaring back as we're getting signs that the semiconductor bottom may at last be at hand. Or at least not far away. And that's why Global Foundries is now up nearly 20% year to date and back in the mid 60s. Doesn't hurt that they reported a blowout quarter in February. I got to tell you, I am a little torn on this one. Historically, semiconductor manufacturing hasn't been a great business. That's why AMD initially sold the business that would go to Global Foundries back in 2009 anyway. But at the same time, there's scarcity value to Global Foundries as they make a ton of chips here in America. Something our government has come to value because so much of the world's semiconductor manufacturing capacity is just a quick boat road away from China. And obviously, we're in a kind of a, a bit of a cold war with China, to say the least. Global Foundries also has a solid order book, and they're, they're going to get a ton of subsidies from the CHIPS Act. Given where we are in the semiconductor cycle, I'm going to give my blessing here, although it's not my favorite. All right, now how about Doximity, which is like a LinkedIn for medical professionals, making its terrific advertising channel for big pharma. They also offer some tech tools for doctors, including one that lets doctors call patients from their personal phones while displaying their office number. Apparently very popular, one of my doctors uses it. We liked Doximity early on, and the stock roared out of the gate from an offer price of $26 to $107, its peak in September of 2021. But like every other fast-growing tech play, it got killed once the Fed declared war on inflation. Ultimately, to 22 and changed last November. Since then, it's rebounded the mid-30s. It's now up a solid 38% from its IPO price, although it's had quite a round trip. Now, now Doximity's last earnings report was not good. The results were solid, but the guidance was ugly, as there's been a delay in their new telemedicine product thanks to some regulatory interference. What can I say about this one? Doximity's profitable, which is good. Also expensive, 47 times next year's earnings estimates. Then again, they've beaten their numbers in every quarter since they came public. So it might end up looking cheaper in retrospect. I'm saying you can buy it, but only for speculation. Next, there's Duolingo. Maybe you've used the product. It's up 39% before it came public in July of 2021. This language learning software play did poorly last year, but its stock is worth higher in 2023, currently up just a shade under 100% year to date. Unfortunately, I can't recommend Duolingo here because the company is deeply unprofitable. It's It's not on track to break even until 2025, way too far for me. Plus, I actually have some doubts about their cartoonish gamified language learning platform. After a family member used it to learn Italian, did not go well. 
once they got to Italy. But even if you like the pro- Italian, is very hard to understand. But it's they have a lot of different, different more tenses, and they do a lot of you know the male female stuff. It's very. My wife's trying to learn it. Anyway, you like the product uh, besides the point unless they start making money, right? And a lot of people do like the product, but I got to tell you, up 39% and losing money, count me out. Number five is Instructure Holdings. It's up 30% from where it came public in 2021. This is an educational technology play. It actually came public before in 2015, before being taken private from Itoma Bravo in 2020, which then took it private again, uh, took it public again uh, last year. I mean, what the hell? Public, private, public, private. I usually don't like these, but unlike most private equity-backed IPOs, this one's got a decent balance sheet. I'm not wild about education tech. Lots of losers in this space, too. Infrastructure holdings is profitable. It passes the rule of 40 tests. So if you like it, you got my blessing to buy some. Personally, I wouldn't, though. Here's the bottom line. Even when you look at the tech stocks that came public in 2021, which should be the worst of the worst, you can still find some winners that have upside potential, like Global Foundries or Doximity. Sure, it's like finding a needle in a haystack, but at least there are a few needles that money's back there to the right. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Gary in South Carolina. Gary. Hey, Jim. What do you, what's your opinion on Nordic American Tanker? Oh, uh, man, every time it hits it three, it's a buy. It gets to four, and it is a sell. And that's about all I have to say about N-A-T. How about we go to Brent, Wisconsin? Brent. Hey, Jim. There's a stock I found out that's up about 52% over the past year. I haven't heard analysts or the street talk about it much, and I'd like to know your thoughts about establishing a position at the current price. The company is Builders First Source, ticker symbol Okay, D-L-D-I. this thing is astounding. It sells at five times earnings. It's at its all-time high, and yet Home Depot is so low and Lowe's is so low. Do you mind if we just buy Home Depot? But I have to hand it to these guys, and I'd like them back on the show. I know they were on a while ago, and I did like them. I just haven't been able to refresh. Let's go to Barry in Michigan. Barry. Yeah. MVO, Novo Nordic. A very strong story down four today. Now, remember, they make Wagovi, which competes with Moderna, which is Lilly's drug. That's for obesity and diabetes. I like both companies very much. Lilly is a huge position for my charitable trust. How about we go to Jason in New Jersey? Jason. Jim, a big booyah from Marlboro, New Jersey. Man, right right around the corner. What's going on? Nothing much. Uh, thank you, Investment Club member. Thank you for everything yes. you do. Before we those emails, you, Jeff, everybody's doing a great job. Jeff is thank amazing. You. Jeff Marks is incredible. What's going Absolutely. on? Absolutely. Uh, quick question. Uh, bought a position in Novartis uh, a couple months ago. Had a nice run-up. Uh, I tell you, Dr. Narasimhan has finally hit his stride, and the thing is working. It was bumpy at the beginning. It's no longer the case. Always welcome back on the show. How about Lucas in Minnesota? Lucas! Hey, Jim Kramer. Yeah, Happy Lucas. win today. I know. I'm a small cap guy, and I'm wondering about uh, Super Microcomputer. What's this your thing, on I that? cannot believe this thing is doing as well. It seems so It seems so commodity to me. I have to invite him on the show, because otherwise I can't explain why this stock is all the way up at its 52-week high. How about we go to Dean in Ohio? Dean. Hi, Jim. 
Good club members and seldom miss a show, and you have made our retirement a blessing. Thank you. Thank you. That's some CNBC Investing Club. I urge people to join. I'm asking about. I would consider it because I know you don't like Altria, but the yield is almost 9% and it's a dividend safe. Thank you. Okay, I I think they have a lot of cash flow. But you know what? Philip Morris, PMI, is actually, PM symbol, is actually doing a lot of things to get people off of tobacco. It's kind of weird because it's tobacco and off of tobacco. But at least I got to give him credit for trying. Let's go to James in West Virginia. James. Professor Kramer, been watching you since 2008. Holy cow, the bottom. That was the bottom. What's going on? That's why I got into the market. Second time caller. Okay. You need your insight on a position I own. It had a rough day. Harmonic, symbol H-L-I-T. I always call that High Lit for the great Hiram Litsky from Philadelphia, late great DJ. High Lit is a very good fiber octave play in a market that I don't really care for. Fiber octave stocks were down, so let's be careful with that one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, panic isn't a strategy. Kramer has the tonic for a jumpy market. Next. Not consequential. Sorry. That's my new tagline. I'm often asked about stocks after bibs and bobs in news, with the question usually coming in a pretty dire tone. But most situations are not nearly as dire as people think. We're exposed to tons of sensationalistic headlines that sound very scary, even as they're not particularly meaningful. Sometimes they're flat out wrong. Sometimes the story isn't important. For example, when I think back over this earnings period, I wonder how is it possible that so many people ask me if Charles Schwab was okay? They wanted to know if the online brokerage house could make it through this mini banking crisis intact. As if management's interview on our, own, on our air with our own Sarah Eyes meant nothing? The interview where they made some very reassuring comments about how they're doing fine and the CEO had just bought a, bought a slug of stock in the open market and the shares traded like the statements were tissue of lies. Yet when Schwab reported, it was clear that everything they assured us about was true, from the stickiness of their assets to the complete absence of capital flight to the lack of a Silicon Valley bank-style cabal of depositors who could flee on a dime. I find it aggravating that people took this story so seriously. They act like Schwab was in danger of going under, arguably erasing tens of billions of dollars in market capitalization. In reality, they lost a little bit of earnings power. It just wasn't a big deal. Management told you that repeatedly. I told you that repeatedly. But it didn't stop the endless questions about Schwab's viability. Now the stock won't quit up another buck fifty-five today, looking pretty strong. That's why I think we need a that's of no consequence mentality when something sounds frightening, but isn't particularly momentous when you drill down. In the old days, we would have said that we're making a mountain out of molehill in order to sell more papers. These days, it's probably to attract more eyeballs. That's the swap story in a nutshell. But it's not isolated to one company. Wasn't Netflix momentous when it reported this last night? Eh, not really. In fact, it's pretty nuts and bolts. Netflix is doing better in some things, largely on the financial side, doing worse in some things, like other things, like monetizing its vast library of intellectual property. Small sell-off today, big after big run. Wake me up when something interesting or important happens, please. Yesterday, we saw a sharp decline in the stock of J&J, which we pinned down as coming from the lack of a clear win in the trial of a key cancer drug. 
Again, actually not of consequence. What really matters to J&J is whether Federal Bankruptcy Court can get closure on all these asbestos lawsuits, tens of thousands of them, where women with ovarian cancer claim they've got it from J&J's talc. The company denies they're at fault and denies there was any asbestos in their product. But that's neither here nor there if you own the stock. What's consequential is whether a prepackaged bankruptcy that causes J&J to pay out almost $9 billion will be accepted. That will be positive. In comparison, anti-cancer drug trial, one of many at the company, simply isn't that important. Time to move on. Some things are beyond consequential. The resurrection of Bing as a competitive search engine could be an existential threat to Alphabet, the parent of Google, a Chinese electric car that sells for 11 grand. That's huge. A clean upside surprise from Abbott Labs based on much better sales. Big deal. And of course, there are geopolitical issues of extreme consequence. The war in Ukraine, saber rattling by China about Taiwan. These are serious. But when it comes to these mundane stories that don't even move the needle in a single company, it's time to cool the rhetoric and stop yelling fire in a crowded theater. Save those headlines for the stories that are truly consequential if you don't want your portfolio to end up looking like the aftermath of the boy who cried wolf. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Bad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.